Welcome to the chat. I'm Katherine Glassby, Public Information Director for Chatham County. Today we're doing the chat a little bit differently. As you can see, we are doing it by Zoom because we are social distancing um, under CDC guidelines in this very strange time that we're living in. But my guest today is going to be Dr. Lawton Davis with the Department of Public Health uh, for the Coastal Health District. And we're going to talk about coronavirus COVID-19 uh, over the next few minutes and try to give everybody kind of a, a sense of what's going on, what the update is, what's happening here in our local district. So Dr. Davis, thank you so much for joining me today by, by web camera. I, I appreciate that so that we could do this, but still social distance. Good to have thank you. Thank you for having me. <clears throat> well, let's, let's jump into it. Um, Chatham County, we have over 120 cases now. Um, that seems to go up every time that we get a new report that's at 12 and at 7 each day. Um, do we expect these cases to continue to, to rise? Well, yes, our numbers are growing very rapidly. Uh, just last week, in the, in the past week in Chatham County, our confirmed cases have risen by more than 500%. Wow. This is likely the result of several factors. Um, certainly we're doing more testing, but also more widespread infection in the community. Because of our limited testing capacity and the fairly long turnaround time we've been experiencing recently, uh, when you look at our numbers, which a lot of people like to do, these do not represent a true picture of the current situation. In fact, what we're seeing, you could, you could consider it just a blurry snapshot of what was actually happening seven to ten days ago. Yeah. And here's, here's something to think about. The first case in New York was documented on March the 1st, which was almost six weeks ago. Mm -hmm. And this week, New York is hoping that they are seeing the peak of their curve. New York City, where most of those cases are located, is densely populated, and therefore one would expect to see a more rapid community spread and thus a steeper curve. In Chatham County, the first cases were documented on March 20th, almost three full weeks after New York's. We've done a pretty good job of social distancing and we're much less densely populated. So one would hope that our curve will be less steep, but it also feels more prolonged. It's only a guess, but if we peak here about six weeks after the first cases were reported, that would equate to the end of April. But even then, that doesn't mean the end of the problem. That would simply be when things would begin to slow down. Sure. But basically, nobody really knows what's going to happen. I think the virus is going to determine that. But we can and must continue to do our part by practicing good public health hygiene and not letting our guard down. Yeah, I think that you're exactly right about that hygiene. And we're going to come back to that in just a few minutes. Let's talk about testing uh, for a few minutes. Georgia has been criticized nationally for the lack of testing and who they're testing. Can you kind of explain to us a little bit what, what, why only certain people are being tested and how many tests we have, those kinds of things? Sure. Well, we, we are making some progress, but unfortunately, we're still not where we really want to be. Uh, the two main issues have been the shortage of specimen collection kits, people call them test kits. 
And the other issue has been the capacity of the laboratories at the other end to actually run those specimens that have been collected. Uh, the state is partnering with a consortium of university laboratories throughout the state so that more specimens can be run each day. And equipment is being added to not only the Georgia Public Health Lab in Atlanta, but also some of those other labs. Another development is that the Department of Public Health is partnering with a new commercial lab in the Atlanta area called Ipsum Diagnostics. Ipsum expects to be able to produce all the specimen collection kits we might need and will be able to process 2,000 tests each day wow. with a 24-hour turnaround. So these advancements will eventually allow us to test more people and to get results more quickly. We're, we're not there yet, but we hope to be rolling these new things out within the next week or so. Until then, our priority groups remain pretty much the same. Individuals who are hospitalized with symptoms, symptomatic healthcare workers and first responders, and sick individuals who live or work in congregate care settings, such as nursing homes or prisons, where the conditions lend themselves to rapid spread throughout the facility. Again, we have to remember that just because we're in the midst of the COVID-19 pandemic, other healthcare issues continue to happen and we need our first responders and we need our healthcare personnel. Absolutely, they're, they're the, they are the front lines of this and we, we need to make sure that they are taken care of. Um, I, I hope that we will be able to have more uh, collection kits and, and be able to test more people because we probably have higher numbers than what we're reporting because not everybody's getting tested. And I think people understand that. The important thing for people to remember is if you don't feel well, you need to stay home. Am I correct in that? You are correct. In fact, we're under a mandate for, you know, home quarantine. So uh, everybody right. should be doing that anyway. Absolutely. Uh, there's very few exceptions to that. And that's, you know, medical care, going to get your groceries if you're essential worker, you know, those types of things. Um, let's, let's talk about a little bit about the, the age range that this affects, because originally when we were hearing about this, it was people over 60 were probably the most uh, likely to, to get the disease, the most likely to have complications. Are we seeing that in Georgia? Well, yes, it's, it's still true that older people are at a higher risk of developing uh, severe complications from a COVID-19 infection. However, uh, it's pretty clear this virus does not discriminate by age. It will infect everyone, young and old alike. In fact, about 60% of the cases in Georgia are in adults uh, in the age range of 18 to 59, even though we initially targeted older people for testing. Right. And younger adults can get sick from the virus and, and uh, develop serious complications in, as well. In Chatham County, we've seen deaths in individuals in their 80s, but we've also unfortunately had the death of a young man who was only 37 years old. Mm. But, and one very important point is to remember is that even if young people don't typically get as sick as the older people, they certainly can become infected and spread the virus to others. Absolutely. And then you have people that have higher uh, risk for complications from the disease if they get it. Um, I keep hearing diabetes, asthma, hypertension, obesity, those autoimmune diseases that are out there. 
um, like lupus and things like that, that it, it doesn't put you more at risk for, for getting the disease, I don't think, from what I've read, but it makes it more likely that you'll have severe complications. Is that correct? You're absolutely correct. Would you like to come to work for public health? <laughs> I've just been reading what you guys are putting out. I've been trying to stay up on all this. Um, as a public information officer, it's my job to try to get this information out. So I've been trying to really understand what's going on um, but and trying to educate people. I mean, I'm, I have family here that is older that have these complications. I'm trying to tell them, you need to stay at home. Um, so uh, uh, Dr. Davis, I, I, I am so appreciative of what you guys do. Uh, I think I'll stay over here at Chatham County, but I love working with uh, Ginger and Sally, who are your communicators over there. Um, they're, they're absolutely wonderful. But, <clears throat> excuse me, the, the other thing I think is uh, important to, to point out to people right now is just because you have, it, it's allergy season. So like, you know, I kind of have a frog in my throat and, you know, I've coughed a couple times when I've been outside. D does that mean, you know, oh, gee, I, I have COVID or is that, you know, you need to, to monitor yourself a little bit more to see if it's allergies or COVID? What, what, what would your advice be to people there? Typically, people who uh, suffer, you know, symptoms of uh, allergic rhinitis or other allergy-related allergy symptoms have had it for years and they kind of know what they have. Mm -hmm. uh, unfortunately, the more we learn about um, the COVID virus, SARS-CoV-2, uh, the more we understand that it can cause no symptoms at all in somebody who's infected or it can cause a very mild illness. And so uh, while you may be pretty confident that your symptoms are your typical allergies, mm -hmm. um, and you may be correct if you're out in public and you're coughing and sneezing, you may again feel comfortable that you're not infectious, but the people around you are probably gonna look at you like, what in the world are you doing? And so I would encourage everybody to behave in a uh, socially responsible manner and not uh, cause undue stress on your neighbors. Absolutely. And I think that's very important. I didn't put my mind on because we were having this conversation by video. But one of the, the things that I think we should talk about is face coverings. Um, so when I'm out in public, I wear one of these. Um, I try to limit my time in public literally from being at work to being at home and in my car. I try not to go anywhere else or do anything else, but if I have to, I wear my face mask um, just because I don't want to cough and sneeze on anybody, even though I think I'm healthy. I don't want to do that. I don't want to put anybody else at risk. What, what are your thoughts on that? I know CDC has been changing their, their thoughts about masks. Well, initially CDC only recommended that sick individuals wear masks in public places. And that was actually to uh, help trap the uh, droplets that you, know, that you produce when you sneeze or cough. And so it was to protect other people. Again, now that we're learning more and more about this uh, SARS-CoV-2 virus, um, we'll, a couple of new words have uh, entered our lexicon. You hear about asymptomatic spread or pre-symptomatic spread. It appears that at least 25% of people and maybe as high as 50% of people who are infected with 
COVID-19 never develop symptoms. They're completely asymptomatic for the whole time they have the virus, and yet they can potentially still spread it to others. Wow. That's pretty scary. Uh, and then, so that would be asymptomatic spread. Presymptomatic uh, refers to somebody who is infected and is eventually going to develop symptoms. And just like with the flu, we know those people can spread the virus at least two days before they become sick. So again, the more we learn about this virus, the less I like it. Uh, it's yeah. proved to be a real, a real uh, unpopular thing here. And so the CDC is now recommending that we wear some type of cloth face covering, everybody, whenever you're out in public. And again, this is not to protect yourself, but it's to mm -hmm. protect others that you may come into contact with in the congregate setting. You may be an asymptomatic carrier, you just don't know you have it. Sure. And so this is to help prevent you from spreading your droplets when you call for sneeze. Uh, in places where social distancing is hard to achieve, such as going to the grocery store or to the pharmacy. Right, absolutely. And uh, there, are, there are many, many videos out there. Uh, the Surgeon General did one. We've shared it on our Facebook page, and I think you guys have also shared it, um, where it teaches you how to, to make that cloth covering um, and talk about the importance. So if people, people need to do that, and the guidance is out there on how to make it, um, one of the other things that I wanted to, to talk about before we let you get back to, to fighting this disease and protecting our, our eight coastal counties, um, this is a, a high holy week for a lot of religious people. Um, we've got Passover this week, we've got Easter coming up. Um, what would you say to the people who would want to, to congregate? How should they go about celebrating? Um, your thoughts on that? Well, I actually have some pretty strong thoughts on that. <clears throat> it is a challenging time, and we all come from different backgrounds and faiths and walks of life, but we're sort of uniquely bonded you know, to this period of time and this shared experience. I think it's very important to stay committed to social distancing and avoid in-person gatherings. I personally cannot recommend attending any live worship service, even if you maintain your six-foot distance. Mm -hmm. Many houses of worship are offering online or virtual services, and I would certainly recommend that. You could consider celebrating with a family, with your family via a video chat. We did that last night. I have family in Boston and Atlanta and Kennesaw, and we all got online and made fools of ourselves with each other. <laughs> and um, you also could, your, yeah, you could cook your traditional foods at home to enjoy the Familiar taste and smell of the holiday season. Consider a small celebration with uh, the family in your household. Right. And, uh, and hold a large celebration later when it's again. And then I have one other special consideration. I've received several questions regarding special worship music. Basically having choir members get together and record anthems or special music to be broadcast. You have to remember that when people sing, the volume of air expelled is much greater than normal, and therefore the vapor cloud uh, that comes out of each person will spread further than would be expected with just normal conversation or normal breathing. There is at least one well-documented outbreak in a choir that resulted from a single practice session 
and not a single person in that choir had any symptoms. And during that session, they actually practiced pretty good social distancing. So my recommendation is don't do that either. Yeah, I had not, I knew about the choir um, that had the problem. Um, I didn't think about it in the terms that you just put it um, with, the, with that cloud, that volume of air being higher uh, because you're singing. And I think that's a very important thing to, for people to, to know and, and consider during this time. Um, I know my church is, is doing the online uh, virtual service, and that's the way I'll be attending on Sunday because my faith is important to me. But I think we all have to think about the others around us. It isn't just about us. We, this is not a time to be selfish. This is a time to think about the people around us. Um, Dr. Davis, I can't thank you enough for being here today. Are there any final thoughts that you have for today? Well, again, thank you for, for having me. Um, I would just encourage everybody to be careful, be safe, and continue to practice your good public health hygiene practices that we've all grown tired of hearing about, but which we know are necessary. Yep. These are strange times that we're living in and we have to adapt to them. This is, this is our new norm right now. And I think people need to be understanding of that and really try to adapt to this new norm while we have to. Um, so again, thank you so much for, for being with us today. Thank you all for joining us on the chat today. We'll be back with another episode in a couple of weeks. Um, Dr. Davis, we may even ask you to come back in, in a week or two and update us a little bit more about the virus and what we've got going on. So thank you again, stay safe, and uh, we will be talking to you soon.